all of this is by design. They want you to think this way. They want your thoughts to be held in captivity. The more you start steering your thoughts away from this stuff, the easier it becomes to have an open mind about other things. A lot of the things that I have been able to let go of have been the result of admitting to myself that I was wrong about something. Very little of what we do in life that is truly worthwhile or truly benefits us the most is ever easy. So get the thought of this being an easy transition out of your head. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be an ongoing process that's going to take the rest of your life to resolve. Do you feel good about your actions and behaviors? Are your actions allowing everyone else around you to live free of any threat of harm? If so, you're most probably doing something right. It's very, very, very important that we start committing to thinking in a new way. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get Unbound. You know, as I was putting this episode together, two interesting facts came to mind for me. Two significant things about this podcast and about the episode. For starters, I don't know if you realize it or not, we just passed our one-year anniversary. Ooh, no, we did. I didn't. We actually... started this on December 1st of last year. Yeah. So we are recording on December 2nd. We just passed a year of doing Unbound. Wow. We've been at this for a year. And we've put out some good stuff. I think that we've really put out some really, really good content for people. And we're growing our audience. It's not as big as I would like it to be right now. But, you know, patience. Patience. Patience is a good thing. And I do want to just take a second here to let you guys know that we're reaching a point where we could really use a little bit more help. And I have been shying away from asking for money because I know what the world is going through right now. And I know that there are a lot of people out of work. These things I understand. I also understand that there are people out there that are able. And if that's you, let me just toss out our Patreon URL. It's patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. If you like what you've been hearing for the past year, or if you are a new listener and you can see the value in what we bring to the table then we would really appreciate you at least considering supporting us financially. If that is not something that you can do, then I'm going to put out one more call here for shares, likes, tell people about the show. A lot of times the best way to spread enthusiasm about a podcast is to simply talk about it. Yes. Let people know that we're out there and that's going to do us almost as good as supporting us financially. I mean, there's a lot that I'd like to do that we are not able to do just yet. And having some more money coming in would definitely help with that. But if you are struggling, if you are in a position where that's just not something you can do, we get that, we understand. But please, if you value this resource, if this is something that you see real personal value in, guess what? There's plenty of other people out there that would too that have never heard us. Right. And I don't have any issues whatsoever asking people to spread the word. So patreon.com slash unbound podcast network. If you have the means and if not, then just tell some people about us. We've been at this for a year and there's a lot of content out there for people to consume at this point. And we have talked about so many different topics. So don't be shy. 
Let people know that we're out there. Share an episode or two. Talk about us on social media. Link out to episodes that mean something to you in conversations on social media. All of that's going to help us. And it's going to help us get bigger. It's going to help us expand, do more with the show. And it's going to help more people get and stay unbound. And that, to me, is the biggest and most significant thing anyone out there can do is to help more people get away from this religion that hates them. Yes. And learn more about themselves. The second thing is that we are now on episode 42. And I think the right people will get that reference. Um, I cannot say with certainty that Shell and I are about to deliver to you the answers to life, the universe, and everything. But if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in episode 42. So (laughs) yeah, don't get your hopes up. It's going to be a good episode, but I don't think that it's going to change the world. Um, It might change yours. It might change somebody else's. But And you know what? I think that that's a good thing. Yes. I think that's a wonderful thing. If it changes something inside you and it helps you to feel better about not being a part of this religion anymore, then at least inside your own head, it should provide you with some answers and a few new ways to think about certain things. And that, coincidentally, is what we're talking about tonight. Hmm. We're talking about learning how to think for yourself. And we've done some similar content in the past where we've talked about, you know, finding your way out of evangelical faith. We've talked about developing your own moral code. We've talked about things that are along this line a few times. But again, this was one of those things that kind of blossomed out of the last couple of episodes because we've been dealing with mental health type issues. Right. And the way that evangelical Christianity tries to keep you sick. And tonight, I really want to take some time and just talk, really, really just talk about learning how to think for yourself and why that is an important thing, why it's an important skill to develop, why it's important to get past a lot of fears and a lot of the a lot of the questions that linger and dwell. And we're going to talk about why those questions linger and dwell. And I think that the more we understand how our minds work the more forgiving we become with ourselves over the stuff that we thought before and why we still think this way. We did an episode on why we still want to pray. All of it, in my opinion anyway, comes back to the way that evangelical Christianity wants you to think in a very linear way about everything and in such an absolute way about everything. You know, there's only one way to get to God. There's only one way to think about this. There's only one way to live your life that is moral and ethical. And if you don't toe that line, well, you're still living in sin and who knows if you're even saved. And they do everything that they can to make sure that the messaging in this verse really wraps itself around your brain like tendrils. Second Corinthians 10.5 in the New International Version says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. My key message to you tonight is that you can get out of captivity. Right. You can get your thoughts out of captivity to this thing that has governed the way that you think for so long. Learning to think for yourself is a vital element to getting and staying unbound. You have to unbind yourself from toxic thought patterns and opinions and start trusting your own sense of reason if you 
ever want your brain to have a chance at steering clear of all the garbage thinking that's been deposited in you over time. It's that simple. Now, there's another passage in here that I think really enslaves a lot of people, enslaves a lot of their thoughts. And it comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. This is the parable of the wise and foolish builders. This is Jesus speaking. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This is the absolute polar opposite of the truth. And it's just more of that lovely Christian fear-mongering and gaslighting that makes you believe that something is different than what it is. This is the exact opposite of how we should be thinking, about how we should be approaching our thought life. Because thinking for yourself is a vital skill that every ex-evangelical needs to learn. Again, this is not simply an evangelical issue, but exposure to the toxicity of evangelical faith exacerbates our tendency to be more heavily influenced by outside ideas than by our own thoughts. For some, the notion of making certain decisions, arriving at certain conclusions, and admitting that so much of what we've been taught is bunk can be very, very scary. And lots of evangelicals wind up in mental and emotional places where they never know themselves and are afraid, literally afraid, of the logic and reason that has started making its way to the surface in their minds, especially when they decide that it's time to get out. So tonight, with the help of my co-host, I want to share some advice that I've gleaned from experience that I think will help you spur this process along a little bit more in your head. And since I already used the term, let's keep in mind that everything we are about to present is part of a huge, ongoing, lifelong process. It's a process. This is not something that you're going to have an epiphany over and it's all just going to make sense. This is something that's going to follow you for the rest of your life, especially if you were in this for a while. Because old habits die hard. That was another one of our episodes. I'm still pretty far from any place where I have mastered any of this. So I'm going to make that disclaimer right off the bat. We all face the same struggles and it's every bit as difficult for me as it is for anyone else. The only difference is that Shell and I probably have a little bit of a head start and a bit more of a perspective than some, especially given that we were in evangelical ministry and saw things that the average pew sitter just doesn't. I've heard things that the average pastor would only say behind closed doors, never, ever, ever from a pulpit. And that, along with what I've cataloged over time about my own experiences in this thing, I think gives me a clearer perspective on the motives behind how they expect and teach you to think and how people in general start steering clear of toxic thought. And again, it's not just an evangelical thing. There's a lot of stinking thinking out there. There are a lot of people that have been led to believe a lot of things about themselves. People who are in abusive relationships go through this too, and they don't have to be evangelical right. to succumb to it. No. So this is one of those people things that evangelical religion picks up, exploits the living shit out of, and ruins people's lives with. So tonight, rather than working from a fully scripted out presentation of ideas, what I've done is jot down a list of talking points 
and a few thoughts to go along with them that I just want to spend some time discussing tonight. Like we're in your living room having a conversation. I've got some good notes, but I want to just have a conversation about this subject because I think that talking about it and just hearing from people who understand this is going to do a lot more good than reading a bunch of quotes and delving deeper into the psychology of it because we've already been there. So let's just have a conversation about this. I do, however, have a few opening thoughts that I want to share before we get into all of these talk points. Since we've already talked at length in other episodes about the science behind thought and thought patterns, I want to look at this subject tonight just from the standpoint of us as people and the tendencies that exist inside our own brains. Whenever there's conflict, our brains simply want to resolve it. They don't choose sides. They just identify conflict and attempt to take the shortest path to relief. Many times that means that our brains will lend deference to the thoughts that contain bad doctrine simply because they're so deeply rooted and we've had so much time to get comfortable with them. Rerouting thought patterns is uncomfortable. The old ones are still there and they stay there even as we're making the conscious choice to abandon them. The ex-evangelical mind eventually becomes a huge map of ghost towns with names like Homophobiaville, Misogyny Village, Dogma Township, and Sin City. Okay, that last one's already taken, but you get the point. Leaving these locations alone to deteriorate is a good plan, but building more modern, efficient, and realistic ones is a better plan, and it takes time. You have to pitch a tent before you can start building a permanent structure, and it can be very cold and uncomfortable in that tent until that permanent structure is ready for habitation. Is there a formula for this? No, we're all different. Our experiences are different, and the way our brains individually process things is wildly different. So getting back to those talking points I mentioned earlier, let's see if we can start strategizing a little bit how to get to a place of clearer more independent thought as individuals, especially coming out of this thing called evangelical Christianity. First and foremost, and I think this is this is the most important element to all of this, is that you need to reach a point where you're giving your thoughts, impressions, feelings, and opinions the floor. They have to have their say. We tend to unconsciously dismiss a lot of thoughts that fly in the face of evangelical doctrine outright especially at the beginning, because verses like the ones I just read lay the foundation for the kind of immediate and total rejection of logic that many of us have experienced for ourselves. And I know that I've definitely experienced it for myself. If you have a thought or idea about something that goes counter to what your pastor once taught you, if you find yourself saying no or making an effort to put certain thoughts out of your head, what that is, is your brain putting up its defenses and looking for a shortcut to resolution. Once in a while, lower those defenses and listen to what those rational thoughts are trying to tell you because they are telling you good things. Yeah. One of the really good things that I took away from Wicca was the concept of intuition. And one of the things that we were told a lot was to trust our intuition because right. it was usually right. Mm -hmm. And these are the thoughts that come from our heads that really are not predicated on anything that we've learned. It's just that we look at the world from a logical standpoint and certain things just stop making sense. This happened to me all the time when I was still in evangelical faith. And I did a lot of that, you know, brushing aside and saying no and this is a lie of the devil and mm -hmm. doubt 
doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from a life that's been transformed by the gospel. You must believe and not doubt. That's another verse that's right in there. You must believe and not doubt. Well, what happens when you do begin to doubt? What does that give birth to? It gives birth to things like guilt. Yeah. Because now you feel like you're grieving the Holy Spirit because you are questioning the things that you've learned. And all of this is by design. They want you to think this way. They want your thoughts to be held in captivity, just like that verse says. And just as a little aside here, this is just another one of those examples of the crosstalk that exists within evangelical Christianity because there's also a verse that says, he who the son has set free is free indeed. Well, doesn't that mean that I'm free to think the way I want to think? Mm -hmm. No, I'm supposed to hold my thoughts in captivity. Right. So makes no sense. No. Again, a lot of crosstalk and that's just another example. It's interesting that the one thing I actually did take from Overeaters Anonymous which is a 12-step program dealing with weight loss, is that it's very important to feel your feelings. One of the reasons that we eat too much, one of the reasons that we drink too much or take drugs is because we do not want to feel our feelings, those hurt feelings or those guilty feelings. And because we don't want to feel them, we do things like overeat. Right. But in, the ter- in terms of things like taking drugs, let's right. make sure that we understand that sometimes these things are necessary yes. to be able to feel those feelings right. or to be able to feel feelings that are productive and actually give us a sense of self. So there is that aspect of it, too. Anything that comes from a 12-step program, I am prone to take with a grain of salt. Of course. But I can see where you're coming from here, right. too. Being able to let certain things happen in your head is very, very important. But evangelical thought doesn't make a whole lot of concessions for that. They want you to think about things the way that they want them thought about, period, end of story. And that's where the real toxicity starts to take hold. Well, with drug use, I mean recreational drugs, things that make you stop feeling. Oh, yeah. Your feelings. Yeah, I, Um, I, I can certainly see where... That sort of implementation would be problematic. Right. Yeah. Um, Drugs prescribed by your doctor, you, yeah, that's fine. But drugs that you buy off the street and decide to inject into your arm might not be great. Drugs prescribed by your doctor are not just fine. They're necessary. Just like I said last week, don't go off your meds. Don't go off your meds. Don't go off your meds. Don't do it. So the next point that I jotted down here, and there's a lot of them. The, the, yeah, this this really came out in a flood mm. over the last couple of days. But understand that your own opinions of things have validity. They aren't silly. They aren't irrelevant. They're just clashing with all that bad doctrine. Sometimes instead of just shutting down those thoughts, our brains try countering them with self-deprecation and criticism. Oh, well, you're allowing the devil to influence you. <laughs> Yeah. You are you don't have enough faith to be able to toe this particular line. You simply don't want to live this way anymore. And that's really what it all boils down to. You are tired of being faithful to the things that you believe. And now you're just trying to scapegoat yourself out of basically eternity. Right. And that's the kind of extreme thinking that 
they try to instill in you so that when it comes around to you having an opinion about something that goes counter to evangelical doctrine, your immediate response to that is to bat it away and say, oh, well, that's just silly. No, it's not silly. It's just that the doctrine is trying to maintain its foothold. And the way that you were taught to think is trying to maintain its foothold. And with all due respect, just like I said a minute ago, sometimes it's just plain easier to give into it. And your brain wants to solve conflict. It wants to resolve those conflicts that are going on inside your head. And it's going to take the shortest path to it. Mm -hmm. So if your own brain can convince you that you're being silly, that's what it's going to do because it takes a whole hell of a lot more work to circumvent those thoughts than it does to just shove them aside and say, okay, well, you know what? This may sound good on paper, but you know the truth. <laughs> the good book says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Well, are you free or aren't you? Okay, mm -hmm. so then lay aside these silly notions that you're having about your own morality, about your own spiritual beliefs, about anything. And just stick to what you know. That's what our brains do. They just want us to stick to what we know because those thought processes are already in there and they're already well established. And it is difficult changing them or circumventing them. I don't know if it's even possible to change them. You need something to replace it with. And until you have something to replace it with, those thoughts are always going to have that foothold. Right. So getting out and realizing that there are so many other ways of viewing the world and so many other opinions about all of these subjects that you've never been exposed to because the only opinions you've ever heard have come from your pastor. At that point, it's very, very difficult to just tell your brain to shut up about that stuff and accept and welcome the new stuff. Right. It's very difficult. I'm going to touch on this one very, very briefly because we've already done an entire episode on it. Stop thinking in terms of sin. Please just stop thinking in terms of sin. In this life and in the decisions that we make, there are actions and consequences. That's it. If you want good consequences, perform good actions. If you perform bad actions, expect bad consequences. But there's no one up there keeping tally. There's no such thing as sin. Stop thinking in terms of sin. Most of the conflicts that arise in our heads revolve around the moralistic and legalistic thoughts we had crammed into them in church. We judge other people by their actions. And even if it's not a concrete thought, the abstract ideas that float around in there all spring from bad indoctrination. And what happens then? We become judgmental or we become hypercritical of people who you know, who haven't learned better yet. That's really what it boils down to. So that's one of the kind of danger areas. When you're getting out of this, it's very easy to get very judgy because you've learned better. It's like, but these people are grownups too. How come they haven't figured this out? Well, they haven't figured it out for the same reasons that we've gone over multiple times in previous episodes where when you're taught something from the from the very moment that you can understand or before, it's really, really hard to break free. I honestly think that that's one of the key reasons why I was able to get out was because I didn't start really having my brain bombarded with the shit until I was 13. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up Catholic, so I had some toxic doctrine stuck in there from my Catholic school days, but it was nothing in comparison to what the evangelicals did. 
but I was 13 at the time. I was already at that point where I was starting to develop a sense of autonomy. I was starting to understand who I was. And of course, they came along and took all that away from me. And that made me very depressed. And I'm still very depressed, not so much over this, but this is part of it. There's a lot of regret for for the amount of time that I allowed myself to be duped into this stuff. But like I said, right back in episode one, we're talking about our anniversary. And this is the very first thing that I told people on this show is that you have to learn to let go of the time lost. You have to learn to let go of all the bad things that happened to you and just start developing those new thought patterns. It's very, very, very important that we start committing to thinking in a new way because it's hard, but it's also really, really, really worth the effort because the more you start steering your thoughts away from this stuff, the easier it becomes to have an open mind about other things and start seeing other points of view and other people's opinions and weighing them against what you know about yourself and what you know about right and wrong, not just what you know about what the Bible says. Right. That's a real important skill to develop. People are going to disagree with you. Some of them are going to disagree very loudly, and that's just the way that it is. And don't expect that to stop, change, or slow down anytime soon, especially if you've had a lot of friends who are evangelicals and now you're out and they're still in. Expect this to be a thing that happens constantly. Let people say what they're going to say. Be polite, humor them, tell them you'll take their words to heart. And you know what? At that point, you can just dismiss them and do what you know is right anyway. Now, in evangelical terms, that's why I think it becomes an ongoing thing where people keep coming back to you. Well, didn't we talk about this a couple of weeks ago? I thought that I thought you understood. I thought that you said you understand where you were wrong here. No, I just understood what you were saying. I never said that I thought that I was wrong. I never said that I thought that you were right. I simply said that I would consider what you had to say. Well, I've considered it and I still know that it's bullshit. <laughs> so there you go. I usually won't be that blunt. Right. When I'm confronted with stuff like this from people, I'm usually not going to just be that in your face about it. But I will remind people that, no, I never said that I agreed. I simply said that I would consider your point of view. But, you know, I considered that point of view for well over two decades of my life. I considered it and now I'm past it. And I'm not going to go back to thinking that way because I know how toxic it is. It's right. that simple. Your evangelical friends on the same, along the same lines will absolutely, positively try to pull you back at every opportunity that they can. They'll try to pull you back in and will use very manipulative tactics on you, especially, and I've seen this more than once, where people are on their deathbeds and all they want in life is for this one person to finally say yes to Jesus or come back to Jesus. And they'll use their condition. They'll use the fact that they are not long for this world or whatever else is wrong with them as a springboard for trying to drag you back in. Now, we can argue all night long over the ethics of this, but at the end of the day, honestly, if someone was on their deathbed and begged me to come back to Jesus, 
I wouldn't have a whole hell of a lot of problem giving them the lip service that they were looking for. Right. Because I would be more concerned about this person being able to die with some semblance of peace, knowing full well that they're going nowhere when they die. I would much rather they have that little glimmer of hope, maybe thinking that they won something or that they managed to win over my soul and that's going to fare well for them when they get to heaven. I don't see the harm in it at that point in somebody's life. I really don't. Um, Someone who is just being a gadfly and buzzing in your ear like a mosquito and you just tell them that you've accepted Jesus and now you have to put up the front. Now you have to be a certain way in front of them for years and years. No, I don't think that's healthy at all. And I don't think that living a lie in front of somebody is a good idea at all. But I've had this told to me about Alzheimer's patients, too, that there's nothing wrong with simply agreeing with them when they ask about someone who's been dead for 30 years and you strike up a conversation about them like they're still there. At that point, it's just a matter of allowing that person to have a little bit of peace. Right. It's the same thing here. There's really no harm in humoring someone who is in that kind of a state, but don't put yourself in a position where you have to put on a face for somebody or a group of people, especially your family, especially your immediate family, because the truth will out eventually. And then it just causes a much bigger shitstorm. You don't want to go that direction. But understand that if you hold your ground with people who are trying and spend years trying to get you back in, it's not going to stop, especially if it's close family, especially if it's like your mother or someone who's that close to you. It's just not going to stop. There comes a point where you have to stand up for yourself and say, look, I've been there. I've done that. I'm done with it now. And I know that that doesn't make you happy, but I'm still your son. I'm still your daughter. I'm still your best friend or whatever it is. And I really don't want this to put a rift in between us, but you need to understand this is part of my past and I am not in the practice of of looking behind me. I'm in the practice of looking ahead and the things that I've learned since I've gotten out of this thing and the way that my thoughts have changed, it's going to be impossible for you to convince me that there's any truth to this. And I know that you're going to keep trying, but just understand that I'm not going to change. I'm not going to revert back to thinking this way just because it will make you happy. I love you, but this is me. Love me back for me and for who I am and as I am, because I'm pretty sure that that's what your God would want. Mm -hmm. You can use their own game against them. You certainly can play the emotional game that they play, but I don't think that you're going to do it to any near the extent that they do. Now, if the conflict becomes too great, like you've got somebody in your life who is just bombarding you with this stuff to the point where your brain can't take it anymore. And you start thinking about the what ifs. Well, what if this is true? What if what they're saying actually is, actually has some foundation of truth to it? Well, you know, that's when you start educating yourself about whatever the, the issue is, or even if it's just the basic doctrinal stuff about salvation, about heaven and hell or anything like that. Definitely start educating yourself a little bit more, even if you already know 
that you have an opinion on this and that it's solid, those influencers can still get in under the radar because those thoughts are still in your head. Those thought processes are still there. So it's not unusual at all. Even for someone who has decided that they know that they know that they know that all of this is bullshit to turn around and start bombarding their own brains with what ifs. Well, that's when you go out and start educating yourself even more about this stuff and where these beliefs come from and why they're so errant in the way that they're presented. But there's a definite caveat here. There's a definite warning that I need to address with this also. Don't engage in confirmation bias. Don't go out there looking just for things that corroborate your opinion. Read the opinions of, of other people. Read the opinions of Christian writers and get their perspectives on things. Because I guarantee you, if you've reached a point where you're thinking more clearly about this stuff and you understand just how nutsy cuckoo most of the stuff that comes out of Christendom actually is, a lot of times going back to those roots and reading something by one of these crackpot Christian authors could be just the recipe for realigning things in your head. And I think that if you purpose to do that without going out there specifically trying to prove your own opinion right, then the right way of thinking is just going to bubble right up to the surface. You're going to read this stuff and say, are you kidding me right now? And when that starts happening, it starts firming your resolve that the way that you think about this is right. That's going to be the thing that's going to drag you back in mentally and say, okay, you know what? This is really, really, really silly because I've had that happen to me. I've had that happen to me more than once. And oddly enough, it started when I was studying for confirmation for the Episcopal Church. Hmm. I started looking at certain things and realized that I hadn't really been confronted with some of this stuff in quite a long time. And the more I read the stuff that they wanted me to read, the more it started to solidify in my head. I don't really believe this stuff. But for me, getting confirmed in the Episcopal Church was kind of a fuck you to the Assemblies of God more than anything else. <laughs> It was it was me asserting my liberation from that kind of toxic thinking. And you know what? Anything related to Christianity is going to be toxic. But yeah. there's a lot less toxicity in some places than there is in others. Right. So even though I was at that point where I was reading this stuff and saying, I believe this, I don't believe that, it was more intellectualized at that point. Right. It wasn't very emotional. It was just, okay, you know what? There's plenty of people sitting in those pews that don't believe this either. And they were confirmed and God's okay with them. So God's going to be okay with me too. If he wants me to think differently about this, then he needs to show me some proof. He needs to reveal himself in this way and show me where I'm in error. And if he chooses to remain silent, then I'm just going to count that as I'm right. You know, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Of course, that works 100% of the time because he's never going to come back with anything. But at the time in the, in the place where I was in in my head, I just resolved to keep quiet about the things that I didn't agree with and go along with this anyway. Now, one thing to keep in mind through all of this, as you go through the process of coming up with your own self-confirmations about these things, if you do go the route of looking at Christian sources for anything, you need to understand that they're almost never going to be objective. Why? Because objectivity leads to free thought. And free thought is a bad thing in Christianity. So they won't 
typically leave the door open even a little for that sort of thing to happen. So you've got to approach this with somewhat of a suit of armor already. If you're doing this to try to come up with reasons to believe this stuff again, you're going to find reasons to believe it again. Yeah. So keep that in mind. You're not going to find any source out of Christendom that's going to be remotely objective or help you not believe. The goal of all of that stuff is to draw you further in. So if you're still on the fence, if you're still really shaky about what you think about this, this may not be the best route to take for you right now. Wait until there are some good thought processes already in there that have you in a place where you understand how wrong this stuff was before you go back to it. Because if you go back to it prematurely, you could get dragged right back in. So there is that little warning and danger that I have to, that I have to bring up with this. The ones that do try to be more objective, and there are some, but they're very few and far between, will still try and sneak the doctrine in there anyway. So they'll just do it with a more subtle tack. They'll do it from the standpoint of someone who has a brain in their head who, just like her Cameron likes to say, needs to have their thoughts circumvented so that this stuff can get back in there. So they'll intellectualize it a little bit. And they'll try and make it seem a little bit more intelligent, a little bit more scholarly. But at the end of the day, they're going to steer your thoughts back into the direction that they want them to go. So be cautious and be on your guard. And if you are still sort of kind of in this and don't quite know whether or not you want out, then I recommend steering clear of any kind of Christian source on anything. You have to be the objective one. In that instance, you have to be the objective one and you have to go out there with the determination that you are going to learn something and that you're going to learn something valuable and that you're going to find truth or that you're going to uncover enough lies that you understand that the truth isn't going to be found here. Now, not all secular sources are good either. This is where you have to be cautious about the confirmation bias aspect of things. You are not trying to find agreement. You are trying to find truth. Big difference. Don't decide that because it's a secular source, it's a good one. Vet vet every source that you decide to place any degree of stock in. And I'm going to I'm going to move away from that train of thought because we're kind of going off the rails a little bit. Keep in mind also that there is a lot to the concept of it feels right. Now, there are dangers and caveats here too that we're going to discuss in a second. But sometimes the proof is in the logic. Unless you're convincing yourself that murder, rape, or pedophilia are okay, you're probably right in terms of things like what movies to watch or what books to read or whatever. If it feels right, a lot of times there's nothing to it that you could really tag on to it as being quote unquote sinful, but your brain will try. If your thoughts and opinions clash with social norms, maybe it's time to get a little bit more educated and lay your opinion aside in favor of what society accepts as reasonable and true. Getting back to the notion of you know, changing right. all of these thought processes and coming up with better ways to think about things. It's always a really, really good idea to have specific counter apologetics or key arguments that you can pull out when people hit you with the doctrine and dogma. 
This is for you, but it's also for other people when they confront you. Don't expect to help people with this. Don't expect Mm. to change people with it. Just use it as a means of communicating that you actually do have a coherent thought or two on this matter once in a while. Okay. Don't think that you are going to steer people away from what they believe because you know how deep it was rooted in your head. Well, guess what? It's rooted pretty deep in theirs too. So you can come up with great counter arguments and you can come up with great counter apologetics and it's not going to mean that much to that person. It's going to mean more to you because it's going to solidify in your head these things that you have come to understand are false And it's going to solidify things in your head that you've come to understand are true. This is for you, but it's also a good defense against the more aggressive ones out there that won't leave you alone about this shit because eventually they're going to get tired of, um, of having the same debates and arguments with you. And they're going to understand that their arguments are completely out of gas. And in a perfect world that should end some of it. But here's the thing. They're just going to find something else to harp on. Oh yeah. They'll figure out something else to bother you about. And that's why having good counter apologetics is a good idea. Start gleaning good advice and sound opinions from sources that use logic and reason as their bases for it. Start figuring out why you believe one thing over another and give your brain concrete foundations to draw on. The whys are so important here. It's so important to understand not just that you have abandoned this line of thought, but why? What is it about this doctrine that can't possibly be true? What is it about this thing that you've been taught that you now understand to be wrong or false or whatever? And start reteaching your brain to think along those lines. That's the only way that you're going to start circumventing a lot of those old thought patterns is to give your brain something new to do and keep feeding it stuff that facilitates that kind of change of thought. And when it comes to your well-meaning friends and family who keep coming back with those counter arguments and keep coming up with new ways to bother you, here's a little bit of advice for you. Be gracious where it is warranted. But at the same time, don't be afraid to rip someone a new one when it's appropriate. This is one of the key benefits of forming a solid counter-apologetic. It can get weak-minded people to leave you alone. And it can armor your brain against the doubts that creep in. But, you know, there's plenty of weak-minded people out there who are still going to keep coming at you with everything they've got. And it's going to get tiresome. I'm just going to put that out there. It's going to get very tiresome. You just keep dealing with them the way that you're dealing with them. And it really wouldn't hurt to strike back with not necessarily vitriol or do it in a way that that tries to to assert your superiority. Coming back at them with an attitude of love can also be a major defense. And it can have a disarming effect on them. Because if you come back at their arguments and just call them idiots then it's going to firm their resolve that they're right. Oh, look at me suffering for Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But if you sit down and just have a conversation with them and tell them, look, I love you, but I can't think this way anymore. And here's why that can have a huge impact also. Right. So there are instances where you just sort of have to come out with both guns blazing. And there are instances where you, where you can sit down with a cup of Earl Grey and just have a discussion too. I can't tell you from one situation to another or from one person to another when it's going to be appropriate to do either, 
But over time, you'll start developing that sense of how to deal with certain situations and certain people. For me, the litmus test is, do I want these people to be in my life? Or is it someone who's already in my life? Or is it just somebody who is just trying to stir up shit? Right. You know, because if this is someone that you want in your life, then you may want to approach it from a more loving and caring standpoint. If it's someone that you just want to leave you the fuck alone, well, have at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Either way, you're going to get your point across. It's just that the end result is going to be different. So choose wisely how you deal with people. Now, there are also going to be times, and I found this to be true in my life very, very recently. There are going to be times when you are just going to be wrong about something. And usually not about Christian doctrine. I'm 100% of the time, it's not going to be about Christian doctrine. There are always going to be things that you latch on to because they sound good, because they help you to prove a point or they prove an argument that's been going on in your own head that aren't necessarily true or right. I found this to be the case with the whole masking thing right. where I talked a few episodes back, a bunch of episodes back now about how I was one of the ones that was, you know, I, I didn't want to wear the mask because I was afraid that I was rebreathing my own CO2 and right. that that wasn't good for me and that I was getting lightheaded when I put on the mask. And then the instant that I learned that that wasn't a thing, a lot of the problems that I was having with the mask just disappeared because right. most of them were in my head. So yeah. you've got to be willing to be wrong once in a while. And you've got to be willing to just admit it and walk away smarter. Just like I did with the masks. I can now wear a mask for hours and hours at a time. It doesn't bother me. But it probably still would if it was stuck in my head that I'm rebreathing my own CO2. Right. So when you're wrong, just admit it and understand that you learn something by being wrong. You learn something valuable because now you know the truth. And the truth is set free your acceptance of the mask. And it's set free your body to breathe normally when you're wearing the mask, that sort of thing. There are all kinds of benefits to being wrong and admitting when you're wrong. Yes. You're not always going to be right. I hate to admit it because you know what? I like being right. Everyone likes being right. But toxic thoughts and bad doctrine have a way of seeping in and tainting pure logic. And if you aren't open-minded enough to allow yourself to be wrong once in a while, then those things will get a foothold on you again. It's just an inevitability that that's going to happen. And just, just so that we're on the same page, this is exactly what you did when you decided that Christianity was bunk. You admitted that you were wrong about something, and it was a big something because it was a big part of your life. Well, you know what? Congratulations. It felt good, didn't it? It felt good to get out from underneath the weight of all of this stuff that they heap on you. So in that instance, you may have spent 25 years being wrong, but admitting it and getting out sure feels good, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You may find it necessary to apply that kind of rejection and redirection in other areas too, just like I had to with the, with the masking thing. Yeah. And there have been a lot of other instances and situations and subjects that I've had to rethink and just allow myself to admit to being wrong about over the years. Then there have been a lot. And I know that most of my personal growth and the things that I've been able to let go of 
more than the things that I've amassed. A lot of the things that I have been able to let go of have been the result of admitting to myself that I was wrong about something. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid of it. It's a good thing. You learn a lot by being wrong. <laughs> but the other half of that is that you have to be willing to accept what's right. Yeah. That's very important. Another one that it, it's kind of a sticky point because it can be taken a number of different ways, but let's keep in mind that all points of view matter. Now, I didn't say that all points of view are correct. What I said is that all points of view matter. Why? Because you can't develop an opinion on anything without counter arguments. Even when someone's opinion is dead wrong, it can help clarify in your head the ways in which yours is right. Having those counter arguments to work with can be the very thing that helps you develop a better sense of clarity and also that counter apologetic that we talked about. If you're not willing to listen to someone else's point of view, then it becomes a whole lot more difficult to really solidify that counter apologetic in your head. You have to be willing to listen. You don't have to accept it, but it's a really, really good idea to listen and to at least give surface value to it in the context of that conversation. This is another really important one, and it's one that, that used to drive me nuts with most Christians because they're really, really good at this. Never parrot information and claim it as your opinion on anything. That's that other person's opinion. Always verify and vet the things that you decide that you're going to agree with. And always develop your own thoughts on every matter. Don't look to the author du jour to right. provide you with your opinion. You have to develop your own based on what you read in that book or in that article or blog post or whatever it is. I mean, you're only going to get so far quoting Christopher Hitchens and Ricky Gervais. Don't allow yourself to cling to surface arguments and understandings because that's all you're going to get out of someone else's head because that's as far into their head as you're ever going to get. Develop your own way of thinking about things and develop your own way of sorting them through. This is how sound opinions become your opinions. You need to adopt them and then nurture them through education, research, and personal application. That's how you start developing confidence in the opinions that you hold on certain things. I'm shying away from using the word believe as much as possible right. because there's there's a large degree of toxicity in belief. So it's not even a matter of, of I believe this is true. It's a matter of I have determined this is true based on X, Y, and Z. So they're not beliefs. They are opinions. And hopefully those opinions are, are based in fact. But it goes right back to what I was talking about a few minutes ago. If you discover that that opinion isn't based in fact, you need to figure out what the facts are and then redirect how you think about it and change your opinion on it. That's okay. There's nothing hypocritical about it at all. That's, it's a sign of intelligence when you change your opinion on something. Right. The next thing that's really important is knowing what your own hot buttons are. Because the more emotional you are over a certain subject the harder it can be to look at it objectively. You're going to develop an opinion and that's going to be your opinion. And there's a degree of danger in that. There's a huge degree of, of danger in just latching onto something and thinking about it in a linear way forever and ever, amen. It's not a good idea. Be careful walking into arguments or debates over subjects that you know will be governed more by emotion than logic, especially when it involves something like what we were talking about a few minutes ago where you have differences of opinion right. that that 
relate directly to the religion because let me tell you, there's plenty about evangelical Christianity that pisses me off. But I also know that when it comes time to deliver a counter apologetic on these things, that I have to remain objective. I have to remain cool headed and I have to understand that this is a hot button issue for me and to only take my emotions so deep into the conversation. That's very, very important. Another thing that I think is equally important because it really is along those lines is developing an ability to confront specific causes of religious trauma. The people who know you and know you well will blindside you with the things that they know are going to pour salt on the wound. They'll come at you with things that they know or think will get an emotional rise out of you. The things that traumatized us when we were in the thick of this are the things that have the most potential to hold us back from moving forward. Revisiting the hurts of the past may steal our resolve against the concepts that created them, but again, letting emotion govern thought is rarely the best course when you're trying to move past those hurts. What were the things that hurt you or damaged you the most? What are you doing to steer your life out of the path of those things, particularly in your thoughts? You need to come up with concrete answers to those questions. You need to have answers. They can't be nebulous concepts. You have to be able to answer them. What are you doing to steer your life away from those things? What were the things that hurt you or damaged you the most? And what are you doing right now, today, to steer your life out of the path of those things? It may seem like continuing to have relationships with certain people is what steers you back in. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be something that, oh my God, if I'm around this person, it's just going to dredge up this, that, and the other, and I'm going to be back at square one. No, if you understand what those hot button issues are, if you understand where your trauma comes from, and you get to the point where you can lay emotion aside and intellectualize those things, it becomes a lot easier to deal with them and to deal with the people that they're tied to. You don't necessarily have to sever all eyes with people who are sources of religious trauma in your life. You just have to learn how to think about the trauma from an intellectual standpoint. And sometimes it requires some therapy too. A lot of times it requires some therapy too. And that's one of the things that therapy teaches you is to stop over-emotionalizing these things and start intellectualizing them. Understand that these things happened. It is what it is. And now we move forward from here. And you can do that and still be in contact with people who are sources of that kind of stress. It's difficult. I don't recommend it, you know, just walking out the door of church and being newly out of evangelical faith. I don't necessarily recommend walking right back into the lion's den, but keep it in your mind that it's important to start intellectualizing this stuff and not let the emotions have a foothold. Also along those lines, please do not discount your own doubts and questions. Doubt is part of the equation. It's a necessary part of the equation because again, without doubt, where would you find resolve? There has to be the argument, counter argument aspect of this because that's the way that your brain works. So don't be afraid of doubt and don't think that because you're doubtful that you're necessarily wrong if we're talking in terms of the reasons why you got out of this thing. Always take your doubts seriously and be proactive about settling those inner conflicts on the basis of truth, not comfort. Because the comfortable thing is going to be to just revert back 
This is what your brain wants. Your brain wants to resolve the conflict. Mm -hmm. It just wants you to revert back to that way of thinking because it's already in there and it's easy. Well, you know, very little of what we do in life that is truly worthwhile or truly benefits us the most is ever easy. So get the thought of this being an easy transition out of your head. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be an ongoing process that's going to take the rest of your life to resolve. And you will definitely die with certain things still unresolved inside your head. You just need to be prepared for it. You need to accept that that's the way that it is and keep working in a direction that leads you to a place where when you're laying on your deathbed, you can at least be at peace with what you decided not to believe. It's also important to learn how to be honest with yourself about your life and about how you're living it. Because it's easy to fall into this thought pattern where you convince yourself that you're no longer a Christian because you are being rebellious or because you wanted to live a sinful lifestyle or that it was just too damn hard. No, the things that we do that go counter to Christian doctrine are not signs of rebellion. Do you feel good about your actions and behaviors? Are your actions allowing everyone else around you to live free of any threat of harm? If so, you're most probably doing something right. If you have questions, consider the source of the doubt. Is it coming from your own sense of logic or some of those old thoughts and opinions trying to have their way? Quite often it's the latter, and those things are usually pretty easy to spot. When you spot them, look at them for what they are, intellectualize what's going on in your head, and allow yourself to have opinions that go counter to the things that you were taught from the pulpit. Also, and this is, I think this is a really, really important one. Learn to laugh at the stupidity of how you used to think. You see, this is why I love podcasts like God Awful Movies. Right. Because they they make so much fun of the way that these people think that it makes you feel better yeah. about not believing it anymore. Laugh at the stupidity of how you used to think. I'm still, because I know that it's in this house somewhere. I know that there is at least one tape where I did this very lengthy sermon at youth group, like over an hour long. Yeah, it's where around. It's, it's around. It's, it's in that basement somewhere. And one of these days I'm going to come across it. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to is going back and listening to that and just sitting there for an hour and cringing over my own words because now I know just how silly it was and how seriously I took this stuff so seriously and to the point where it gave me stress because I could also tell that there were a lot of people that I was talking to who weren't taking it very seriously and how dare they. This is important stuff. This is life and death stuff. I'm talking about your eternal soul here, people, and you're just looking at it like here's this crazy kid who's got all these weird things to say. And no, 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 this is serious. You need to you need to understand how serious this is. And that, I mean, that was kind of the tone of yeah. this whole thing. That was kind of the tone mm. of this entire talk. That's the tone of every sermon, though. That's the tone of just about every sermon there is. This is serious. Oh no, hon. This you... was second. This, this this was next level. If, if if I ever find this tape, I will play some of it for you. If you can get through five minutes, I would be very very impressed. <laughs> we're we're not talking about just the basic rhetoric that you hear from the pulpit. We're talking about a sixteen year old kid that was pissed about pretty much everything in his life, and it came out in this sermon where oh. you know 
I, I was making all kinds of calls to uh, to holiness and repentance and all of this stuff to other 13 to 17 year olds who really should have been out at the movies that night. So sinner in the hands of an angry God junior? Kind of, kind <laughs> of. I mean, I, I don't think that, that anything I had to say ever became that extreme, but oh my God, was it just mired in legalism and dogma and judgmentalism and every other negative thing that you can think of. It all came pouring out because this was about two years worth. This was about two years worth of thoughts that came pouring out in the middle of this youth group meeting. But here's the weird part. I'll never understand why this was, but we had like a two hour altar call after that. So I did a good job of churning up the guilt with a lot of people. But there were also the ones that were sitting out there that were rolling their eyes and like, oh, is this done yet? And, (laughs) you know, but we we wound up having this almost revival level altar call at the end of this. So what I said got through to a a good quorum of people. (laughs) You know, I really dumped some shit in some people's heads that night. Oh, dear. But uh, and, and I did it in a way. That was very teenage angsty yeah. in, in its delivery, but also just saturated in dogma and judgmentalism. It was, it was it, you know, if I ever find it, I will play part of it for Ugh. our listeners. Oh, um, as cringeworthy as it is, if I ever come across this tape, you guys will hear it because you need to understand where the spider came from and where his head was at oh, the time. Yeah. You'll you'll have a whole new um, appreciation for what I do here when you hear that. <laughs> but, you know, now I look at it and it's laughable. Back then it was dead serious and a lot of people took it seriously. Yeah. But the simple fact that I can look at, look back at it with this attitude of, you know, this, this was laugh worthy and it was cringe worthy says a lot about how far I've come. Yeah. Because you got to be willing to laugh at yourself once in a while. You got to be willing to laugh at some of the crazy shit that you did and some of the crazy shit that you believed. It's necessary. And that's why I like God awful movies so much because I'm confronted with so many of these things that I used to think and the thought patterns that I used to (laughs) be engaged in and the way that they present their content is very sarcastic mm-hmm. and it really is it, it's very in your face about just how pathetically stupid it all is oh yeah so that's why i like it so much the other half of that equation is to laugh inwardly when you see those crazy thoughts manifest in others and be thankful be very 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 thankful that that is not you anymore mm-hmm. it's not your job to save these people or change their opinions on anything if they want your opinion then by all means give it to them but don't bombard them with all of the stuff that you've learned since you've gotten out just laugh inwardly at the crazy and be thankful that that's not you and right. that's that really is the easiest way to deal with a lot of it oh, yeah. because if you take it too seriously and you start worrying too much about where those people are at in their heads, it can drive you nuts. There are more productive ways of dealing with that, like starting a podcast about it. So I already touched on the next point just a little bit. Don't bombard people with your opinions unless they ask. The stress of arguing can help doubt find a foothold, especially if you haven't been out for very long or if you're still on the fence. Trying to debate people and bombard them with secular opinions 
could actually work against you. It could create a situation where what they sent, what they're saying sounds good to a brain that just doesn't want to think that hard. And you could find yourself back in the thick of it if you approach this with too much zeal too early on. Always be the one answering questions, not raising them, unless and until those questions form the basis for counterarguments and debate. Be on the ready to answer questions about why you believe this or why you don't believe that. But don't be the one that starts raising questions because, you know, not not every Christian out there has a really well-formed apologetic. I dare say that the vast majority of them don't. But you find one who does, just like that guy at Word of Life that I talked about a bunch of uh, episodes back, who sat me down and walked me through Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse about about why once saved, always saved is the correct doctrine. You can find yourself in the same kind of predicament. If you tangle with the wrong person who has too, just just slightly too much of a formed apologetic in their head. So be the one who answers the questions. Don't start posing questions to people, especially if you can't figure out a way to talk about them for at least a half an hour at a time, because you'll have to, you will have to, and you'll start losing your argument. If you're not that good at this, if you still have lingering doubts and questions in your head, you will lose the argument. So be careful. Remember that you will be shamed, mocked, scorned, sworn at, called an idiot, the whole nine yards. They're telling you this in love, remember? Well, yeah, but it's that Christian brand of love that's predicated on hate that they love <laughs> to spew at you all the time. Of course. But yeah, that's that that's just the way that these people are, and it's all that they know. It's all that they understand. And honestly, it to me is a real sign of insecurity when okay. they start getting angry. And they start approaching you from from a a standpoint of mocking or yelling. And yeah, there are plenty of Christians out there that will curse your head off just because they're frustrated by your lack of acceptance of what they're saying. Uh, That crazy lady in that video. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to save you, motherfucker. And just over and over and over with with, with all that. And she, she had extreme mental illness. I don't know what was going on with her. But she was not playing with anything that even remotely resembled a full deck. When I mentioned the movie Save last week. Um, remember the part where um, <laughs> I forget what Hillary Fay was. Um, when she she she's just getting more frustrated by the minute, and she hurls that Bible. I am filled with Christ's love. Yeah, it just hits her on the back. <laughs> oh my goodness! And and you know it may look extreme when you're on the outside looking in, but I've even seen stuff like that happen. They call them Bible thumpers for a reason. Yeah. You know? And sometimes you're the one that gets thumped with it. Hmm. Now, I don't think I've ever had a Bible thrown at me. No. But I have had people get very hot under the collar to the point of swearing because they were that frustrated. It does happen. It totally happens. And also, there's the other, what what I really think is the seamy underbelly of this, because I'd much rather see people's true colors. That's just right. me. I'd rather see the truth about someone than this. You will be groomed with love, mm-hmm. acceptance, and affirmation, especially when it's someone who's close to you who really desperately wants to see you come back to the fold. They will absolutely love bomb you, and they will use that as a means of tugging at your heartstrings. Yeah. Remember, keep in mind through all of this 
that there's very little to evangelical Christianity outside the realm of emotionalism and sensationalism. This is what they know. These are the tactics that they use. And sometimes those emotions are angry and sometimes those emotions are loving, but they're going to bombard you with emotionalism to try to get you to see their point of view. Understand that that's what's happening. Understand that it is by design and just keep your guard up. You know, it's perfectly okay to love somebody back in a situation like that, but there's love and then there's love. There's love that is unconditional because you are who you are. And then there's love that communicates that I want something from you. So I'm going to try and love it out of you. Mm -hmm. And that's most of what you're going to see in situations like this. So I talked at the very beginning about the concept of old dilapidated buildings and ghost towns that exist in your head when you start thinking differently about certain things and start developing new thought processes. The last point that I want to bring up here before I, before I end things off is to never attempt to renovate old structures. Let them fall and build new ones. You, you can't take aspects of your Christian existence and try and apply them to an atheistic way of thinking. There's just way too much disparity. It's like oil and water. It's not going to work. You cannot renovate these thoughts. You have to let them collapse. It's that simple. It's difficult because these things stay in your head, but you have to let them fall. You can't try to build them back up or give yourself reasons to keep revisiting the thoughts of the past, if you want to move past them. You have to let them fall. In closing, just a few key thoughts here that, that, I, that I jotted down um, while I was thinking about all the rest of this. If you take nothing else away from what we were talking about tonight, I just want you to keep this in mind. This thing called you is very complex. All the details about your life, about the things that you have experienced, your thoughts, your opinions, all of this stuff, it's not going to be sorted out overnight. As you're going about the work of reclaiming your own thoughts and building these new thought processes, remember that there is a lot of work left to do, that it is an ongoing process. It's not going to come together in an hour, a day, a week, or even a year. You're not going to have some marvelous epiphany because you heard a podcast episode. This process is ongoing and it takes effort. The reward is a mindset and a thought life that continuously realigns into a structure that has a far more firm foundation than any that Christianity would ever have been able to provide to you. When Jesus spoke of houses built on sand, it was a means of scaring you into thinking that your thought life would crumble if you didn't follow the tenets of Christianity. This message is the polar opposite of the truth. It's religious doctrine that creates that shaky foundation. Take the time to make the foundation of your thought life more concrete. This is accomplished by building your thoughts on a foundation of truth, logic, reason, and common sense. The sooner you abandon the sandy foundation of evangelical thought, the faster your sense of self will solidify into something sturdy and capable of being built upon. See the messaging you were fed as a Christian for what it was, an unmanageable, 
unstable and failure-prone foundation that needs to be abandoned, not rebuilt, not renovated, abandoned in favor of something better. That something better is the ability to think clearly, rationally, and independently. It's getting past the notions of guilt and doubt instilled in you by a religion that is based on lies, manipulation, and the tearing down of the individual from the inside out. It's developing the ability to not only think for yourself, but trust yourself to think good, objective, reasoned, and practical thoughts. Lastly, it's learning how to keep your opinions forever open to change based on the things that you learn and the understanding of the world that you develop over time. I changed my mind about a lot of things while I was still a Christian, and that trend continues in me now into my emotional adulthood. And by that, I mean a life that's free of notions like childlike faith and moral absolutes. Never be afraid to be wrong. Never be ashamed to admit that you were wrong. In making that admission, you are also showing your ability to learn and apply the things you learn to how you think and behave. All of this is part of the work of redeveloping who you are and developing those better thought processes over time. Being willing to do the work it takes to start developing better thoughts and opinions is a sign of real maturity, and it's one more way for your mind to finally get and stay unbound. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.